This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Adam. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast. And today we have the wonderful McKenna Peterson on the show. Uh, McKenna and I talked about product stuff a lot, actually, which is great. I really enjoy talking about that side of things. We talk about Sister Summit. We talk about how ski boot sizing sucks ass. We talk about a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and I really enjoyed having her on. I've been trying to have her on for a long time now. Um, it is it's great. I love when I get to talk to people that are actually like excited about being in the industry and have a positive outlook, but also want to see shit get better. Um, and McKenna is, uh, is awesome. I'm a huge fan. Always have been. So, um, I knew McKenna before it was cool. I'm just kidding. That's not true at all. Um, but huge fan of McKenna, huge fan of this episode. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Um, before we get into that episode, there's a couple housekeeping things here. One, if you're not a YouTube subscriber, you are missing out. Uh, it is the proper way. I don't know if it's the proper way. This is the original way, but it's a great way to listen to the show, to watch this show. If you're just bopping around your house and you need something on in the background, hit up our YouTube channel. It's just out of collective. And my show is on there weekly. Like I said last week, I'm committed to 52 of these this year. Uh, so you see that, but you would also see gear reviews, video projects that we put out. Like we just put out like a full van tour. And like a little while ago, we did a big snow project and we're going to do a Canon project and we're going to do a Vermont project. We got all kinds of stuff going on this season. And I'd really appreciate it if you came along for the ride. So go on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and tell a friend, tell a friend about the show. I don't know. This is my sales pitch right now. I'm not doing a great job, but you should listen to any of the shows in the collective, participate in the stuff that we have going on. And I very much appreciate everyone that listens to this thing and everybody that allows us to keep doing what we do. And with that, some of the people that allow us to do what we do are sponsors, including my people. At Cannon Mountain. Uh, it's my first Cannon out of the year. Cannon has been a sponsor of the show since basically year one. And like I could not have done any of this stuff without the support that Greg and the team have given us. It is the best skiing, point blank, in New England at a resort. Okay, it's the best pitch. When they get snow, they get a shit ton of it. And you don't even know. It's not like they're like, hey, we're getting a million inches of snow. They're not like that, dude. They just go out. They have the best terrain in New England. The best skiing. And they'll just get snow and you just go. Like, it's, it's how it goes. Like, go to the website. It's probably lying to you. The website's probably lying to you. It's literally like, oh, it's like we got three inches. They probably got eight, and they're just not telling you. Okay? Um, more importantly, let's go skiing. If you want to go to Franconia, if you want to come hang out, let's go skiing at Cannon. Let's make a turn or two. It's like my least favorite phrase that people say is like, let's go make let's make a turn, bro. I don't want to make a turn. Okay? Like, I want to make a lot of turns. I want to have fun. I just want to go skiing. Okay? So, come skiing with me. At Cannon. Uh, by the way, $45 lift tickets for New Hampshire revs residents on Wednesdays. Uh, great promotion from the lovely people at Cannon Mountain. Uh, so please come skiing with me this season. Um, and you can also go to CannonMT.com in case you were wondering as well. Like I feel like that everybody knows that. We'll include in show notes, but like CannonMT.com. Keep your feet happy and also keep your boots not smelly. Um, the lovely people at Cetus have the best insoles, like drop-in insoles that exist in the universe. Uh, they are comfortable. They fit well. There are different art sizes. And now there are different top, how do we say the top, like cover sizes? Is that what you would call it, Ethan? Like the, the material on top of the footbed? What would you call that? I have no idea. Oh, okay. Just a piece of it? A piece of it. Ethan says a piece of it, just so you know, the top layer is all merino wool. So your boots don't smell like garbage. You don't smell like garbage. You smell great even after skiing as many days as you can possibly handle. Okay? That's not the merino one. Come on. Get to the merino. Go back. Go back. Go back. The one that says merino is the merino one. This is my new way to do ads is I just poke Ethan until he gets mad at me, and then we move on from it. But anyway. Uh, there we go. There we go. Cetus-USA.store. Not great at reading. Go to cetus.com, cetus-usa.store, and you can buy yourself a new footbed, but also just go into your shop, get fitted by a boot fitter, buy a new drop-in insole for yourself, and make your boots fit better. Like, it actually, I'm, like, joking, but it makes a huge difference to get a proper boot fit and to get an insole, right? Once upon a time, like, the first time I ever went to a boot fitting clinic, they actually were, like, 
the worst case scenario for an insole is that it keeps everything going really well, right? The best case scenario for an insole is that it fixes a lot of your boot fitting problems and it just gives you support where you need it and makes it more comfortable and it makes the boot ski better because instead of that cheap little foam thing that's on the inside that comes stock in every boot, you have an insole that actually works really well. So once again, cedis-usa.store, go shopping, get yourself some new insoles or just go to your local retailer. Okay. McKenna, tell people first who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then we'll kind of go on from there. All right. Hey, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) McKenna Peterson here. Um, I live in Sun Valley, Idaho. I am a professional big mountain skier and a commercial fisherman. Nice. So I'm at home in Sun Valley right now. We have a lot of snow on the ground. Pretty busy holiday, but skiing's good and true to its name, the sun is shining. (laughs) That's great. Um, how much time do you actually spend at home in the winter? Like it's, it's funny, like home and boat home, I guess is like very different things. And then as a professional skier, obviously like just on the road all the time. So like, are you spending a lot of time actually in Sun Valley or is it just like you're here when you're here? I'm here when I'm here. I'm not home that often when the skiing is good here. I try to be here, but I travel so much in the winter that I actually think I spend more time on the fishing boat than I do at my actual house. No shit. It's, do we like this part of it? Are you like, are you satisfied with the travel? Obviously it's part of the job. Obviously there's a lot of benefits and early on it's fine, whatever, whatever. But like, do you still enjoy the travel and the go, go, go part of it? I do still enjoy the travel. I think I have a hard time sitting still. Mm. So if I spend too much time in one place, I get a little antsy and I want to leave. And yeah, you know, I've been home now for eight days. I've yep. been here, and um, I was thinking this morning about packing my bags and maybe driving up to Revelstoke. Nice. weren't you just there? You did Sister Summit, right? Yeah, I did Sister Summit, and then we did a Scott photo shoot at Kicking Horse. Okay. So cool. I was just in Canada for a while, and you didn't have enough. I really like it up there and you know Lexi DuPont has a great place in Revelstoke and she's one of my best friends in the world so yeah it's good to go up there and hang out with her how how was Sister Summit first year that they did that this was the first year of Sister Summit and it was incredible the girls did such a good job I met so many rad people I mean the skiing was phenomenal as I'm sure everybody saw over social media (laughs) Yeah, I, it was an amazing experience. I cannot wait to do it again. Yeah. So what, just a little bit on this, like what's the, why Sister Summit? What is the idea behind it? Like, can you explain this to people that are unfamiliar for a little bit? Yeah. So um, the main purpose of Sister Summit is to increase the feminine frequency in the mountains. Okay. So it's basically getting a bunch of women together, skiers and snowboarders, guides, um, mountain professionals for a week in a certain location. This year we were at Mustang Powder Cats up in just outside of Revelstoke. And we just shred. We shred. We create content. Um, we do a bunch of um, talks and educational sessions in the evenings. It was a great combination of um, education, inspiration, connection, and shredding. That's awesome. It looked great. And so this is maybe a difficult question, I guess, but throughout the course of your career so far, do you think that there are more women actually shredding or there's just more light put on the women that are shredding, right? Because I think that that's a, right now there's a big focus on like, pushing women and like pushing the sport to like where it probably should be. And I just wonder like, is this just where the progression of skiing in general has gone or is it that we're putting more light on it? I think it's that we're putting more light on it. Okay. Um, It does feel like there's more women in the professional space of skiing and snowboarding, but that's because we're putting more light on it. Mm. You know, I, I don't think that there are more and more women 
in the mountains every year. I think the women have always been there. Okay. It's just a matter of noticing it and of us connecting with connecting with each other. Mm-hmm. And then also in the professional sp- space, the brands um, creating space for us and realizing that the female side of the industry is half of the industry. Yeah. And buying power so, even more so. And like, buying power, yeah. Yeah, even more so than the men's side of the It's very bizarre that this has not been the norm. Like that this is just like the last few years, it feels like. Like everybody's like trying to make a big push and like making sure that women are in these films and like making sure that like the representation is there. It's like as it should be. It's just it's weird that it's taken this long, maybe. Right. And I mean, you work with brands and film like Warren Miller and K2, probably good examples of two brands and two companies that have always, at least in recent years, done a really, really good job of that representation in the same way. So I, I don't know. It's it's bizarre that it's taking a little bit longer for everybody else to kind of come on board. Yeah, but the important thing is we're doing it. Yeah. And everybody is coming on board and there is a light being shown on the female side of the industry. So, mm-hmm. and I don't see that going away anytime soon. So we just keep with this standard that we're setting now. Yeah. And then in the future, it's just the norm. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be pushed in the same, like, it's just, I, yeah. I, it's just the way it is. Right. Exactly. And that's honestly, it's funny. That's honestly the way that I think most people would like it to be. It's just that you kind of have to push a little harder to get to that point right now so that it is on an equal playing field. And mm-hmm. it just, I don't know, it feels like it's taking everybody like a minute to make that adjustment. But I think in snow sports in particular, it's been it's been really good. That adjustment has, seems like it's happening quicker than other industries for sure. Yeah, we're doing a good job. Just, yeah, keep it up. You know, inclusivity is an important part of everything in life. Yeah. And the snow sports world is doing an okay job of being inclusive they're getting better at it. We got, we need to, we need to get so, yeah. to a point where it is the standard and the norm and we don't even think twice. Yeah. That's how it is. Everybody is included. What, what, and again, not the spokesperson for everybody in terms of inclusivity and representation and all this stuff, but like what in your mind could be done better? Like what are some of the things that you've seen over the course of your career that you're like, look, this should be this way or that way. You know, that actually, that's a hard question. Something that I think could be done well right now that I'm seeing a bit of, but I would love to see more of is pushing for inclusivity in youth programs. Mm. We, we need to start with the kids because that's the age where we develop our ideas of what's normal. Yeah. How things are supposed to be. So let's like, Let's talk about it with the youth. Let's talk about it with the kids. Let's set up programs where everybody can be involved, you know, regardless of race, gender, economic status, all the things. Just let's put emphasis on the kids. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It makes a ton of sense. And I mean, obviously, Mm -hmm. we're coming in a little hot on this conversation so far. Like, it's it's like right out of the rip. Like, I don't even know how we got to this point, but. Um, no, I agree. And the kids are like, it, it's an excellent place to start. It's where a lot of this stuff should start. And it's, it's funny. Like there's plenty, even on the product side, it's like, you don't see innovations in kids product very much. You don't see like people giving a shit and like people starting skiing at a young age is what makes skiers forever. Kind of like people remember that for the rest of their lives. Like, I don't know. You tell me, how did you start skiing? How did you get into it? Like, what was that like for you as a little kid that made it so that you could be on this kind of path? Exactly. Right. Like it's I started, yeah, I started skiing when I was three years old. When I was a kid, skiing was just a part of life. Right. You know, I didn't realize that it was a privilege. It was just something we did. Mm. And I'm really grateful and lucky to have had that. And but it, that speaks to your point exactly of when you start skiing when you're a kid and that's just what you do. Yeah. I mean, such a cool sport to get into at that age. Yeah. And to carry with you for the rest of your life, but that's when we're the most impactful and that's when we fall in love with what we fall in love with. Yeah. Scheme. Yeah, for sure. It, it's important. And it's like, it, it becomes second nature at a certain point. And it's not like those barriers that everybody always talks about, like those barriers to entry don't seem as prevalent when you like have known what to do for your whole life. 
you know, like right. it just seems like you can just jump in there versus like now, like learning how to ski as an adult, when people, my family owns a ski shop. So like when people comes in, when people come into the ski shop and they're like, I'm an adult trying to learn how to ski. It's like one of the craziest things and it's one of the hardest thing. And you're like, you're trying to protect this person from all of the things that like <laughs> come with the sport and all of the like weird, like Jerry of the day type shits that exist. And you're just like, look, you just got to step into the body. You got to go ski and take a lesson and like go from there. It's just, it, there's so much to get into as an adult that like, if you have the benefit of starting as a young kid, it's like, you're so many steps ahead. Right. I, on that point, I love seeing adults learn to ski. For sure. Especially when they get into it and they don't even <laughs> care what they look like. They're just, this is fun. I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. I want to go every day. I mean, good on them. Yeah. Skiing Skiing and snowboarding are both really hard, difficult sports to learn, especially when you're a little creaky and a little yeah. <laughs> not made of rubber. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of people that are probably listening like, I'm not that creaky at this point, but like it is, it's, diff it's, it is, it's a difficult thing because there's just so many things when you go and you, you know, kick a soccer ball or you like play basketball, it's very, it's almost intuitive, right? Like the thing, there's not that many things to just pick up. It's like ball goes in hoop score points, more points than the other team, move on, right? Skiing is like there's so many different disciplines and bits to it and the product and the gear and the and where you go and what pass do you get and all this shit. It's like it is. It's a complex sport. <laughs> it's just how it goes. Um, let, me, let me ask you about um, Warren Miller. Been in Warren Miller stuff for a long time now. At least it feels i mean how many years has it been um i've only i've been in three warren miller films but my most recent one is the current film daymaker that's right. touring right now right it feels like it's been longer than that for some reason but like it's what has it been like for you working with warren miller like putting those projects out into the world like it's it's basically like we talk about entry to the sport it's like what people get into first is a warren miller film it feels like like you go to these shows and you feel the energy at those shows and you just watch the kind of people and their families that are showing up to those things. So on the filming side of it, tell like, tell me what that experience is like, I guess, for you. I mean, it's, it's been incredible. I remember going to the Warren Miller films when I was a little kid, Yeah, you know, here at the Sun Valley Opera House where we still show the films in Sun Valley. I used to go with my parents every fall and that was my introduction to ski movies. Mm. It was, you know, the exciting start of winter was the Warren Miller film. So when I got asked to film my in my first Warren Miller in, I think it was 2014 or 2015, I mean, that was my big, whoa, I yeah, made yeah. it <laughs> moment. Like, I'm actually going to be in one of these movies. This is the coolest thing to ever happen. And it really was. It was a great trip. Um you meet a lot of cool people mm. doing that. And I think that's my favorite part. And that's been my favorite part of working with Warren Miller is the people that I've gotten to travel with and, you know, the shared experiences that we've had. Yeah. 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 It's it. That's one of the things. It's funny. Malchek was just here for people that obviously did not see the initial interaction. But like one of the things I was talking about with him is the fact that like, this industry is very much like who you know and who you meet and kind of utilizing those connections to kind of like make a career out of it. That's like, I'm assuming that's kind of the same thing. Exactly. It's just kind Yeah. Of it's who you know and who you meet along the way is, you know, to Josh's point is how you make a career out of it. And, but it's also what we're going to remember down mm. the road. You know, I'm not going to be a, I'm not going to be skiing and Warren Miller movies for the rest of my life but I will remember the times that I had while on those trips yeah. and while showing the movie at, you know, still theaters and cities around the country. Yeah. Yeah. What's the touring aspect of it? Like, like, are you full on in the film? Like what, what is that? What is that existence? Like when you're kind of showing this movie for the first time? It's fun. Um, I usually don't see the movie until I sit down in the theater and watch it for the first time. So that's always really exciting. Wondering how the audience is going to react or, you know, if I said anything not so sure. <laughs> is that not weird to you? 
you, but is that not weird to you that like they don't show you like a cut of the thing that you're in ahead of time? I kind of like it. Really? Yeah, it's it's I'm exciting. So Getting this, you get butterflies in your stomach. It's kind of fun. Oh, I'm like stressed for you. It's like I don't <laughs> think that, that I don't think I do particularly well with that kind of thing. It's it's. I don't know. You're on screen and it's going to like, there's no stopping it. Once it's out there, it's out there. Oh yeah. It's gone. Yeah. I, I don't know about all that. I don't know about all that. Um, what, what is the film process like for like, for people that don't really understand, like all this stuff obviously gets filmed season before, but like, how do you figure out what you want to ski to go into the project? Like, is there, what kind of conversations are being had behind those doors ahead of time so that you know like okay this is what we're looking for in this film this is what we're hoping out of you the athlete like how does that conversation go um last year was actually interesting last year I did a trip to Greece with Michelle Parker and John Faulkner yep. and I got an email from Josh Haskins the producer of Warren Miller maybe 10 days before the shoot was supposed to happen <laughs> saying hey you want to go to Greece here are the dates. And I just said, well, I actually responded and said, are we going skiing in Greece? Question mark. Yeah. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Yeah, sure. I'd love to go. So that's, you know, that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. It was, it was pretty last minute, but it lined up and it worked out and it was an amazing trip. Yeah. Michelle said it was like one of the most insane experiences that she's had. Yeah. We, I mean, yeah. You, was, you have to watch the movie to see. And that'll be, yeah, like what? Yeah, all right, people will watch the movie. I guess that's how people will find <laughs> out like what actually goes down in Greece. I didn't even know they were skiing in Greece. I know that's why my response was asking if we were going skiing. Yeah, right. <laughs> were you, and you weren't aware of this at all? You weren't aware that this existed? No, I had no idea. Oh, God. Okay, cool. I mean, that's great. Uh, <laughs> let me... <laughs> Let me kind of like, we'll touch back a little bit on the sister summit thing in general. What, when you're talking to a younger athlete, kind of like starting to make a career in the sport or like kind of trying to find their path, there's like a couple that I can think of that were at this summit as well that are like just starting their careers. Like Piper Kunst is a great example. Like, do you talk to people like this? If you're talking to a younger athlete, like how do you, how do you give a roadmap to somebody that's trying to make it in this industry as a professional athlete? There isn't a roadmap. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I feel like we all have done it our own way. Yeah. And there is, there isn't a roadmap. There isn't a tried and true formula for okay. making it as a skier. So what I think is important is to make sure that you're having fun Mm-hmm. And that you're doing something that you want to be doing. Okay. And if you stay true to those core values of, am I having fun? Do I want to be doing this? And you work hard and you promote yourself and do the social media thing, you'll probably make it. And that's it. In theory. And that's it. Yeah. In theory, you just, that's kind of, how I made it. I just skied all the time because I love to ski. Yeah. And then when I got opportunities, I said, yes, I worked hard. I showed up, you know, kind of all the classic things that you do when you get an opportunity in life. Yeah. And I made sure that I was always having fun and I always wanted to be skiing. Yeah. What, how did like opportunity one come up for you? Right. Like that first one where you're like, this is, this is where I can kind of start to make my, obviously Warren Miller is a huge break, but you don't get to that point until like you have those first few opportunities. So what did that look like for you? Um, the first couple opportunities came from K2 actually. Yeah. I was on K when I first started with K2, my teammates were Lexi DuPont, Amy Ingerbretson yep. and Pip Hunt. And K2 basically gave the four of us, you know, some budget and some opportunity to go create whatever we wanted to create. And I'd say that was kind of the start in the media world. So, you know, at first we did, we planned this trip to Switzerland 
and Amy's dad, Jeff, came and filmed us. And we went and hung out in Switzerland and got a bunch of cool shots. And we wrote some blogs. We wrote some stories. We got some published photos. And we made a short film out of it. No shit. How So how how did you even get, like, noticed, I guess, by K2? Like, how did that conversation happen? From Because I imagine it's not just like you get an out-of-the-blue. I mean, maybe it is you get an out-of-the-blue email and it just happens. But... What does that What does that look like? Because I think there's so many people that are like, "How do I get my foot in the door?" And that's kind of what I'm getting at is like the foot in the door thing is like how people want it without like selling your soul or like doing everything for free. And it's like, what is that? You know, what does that look like? Um, I was competing on the Free Ride World Tour. Yep. At the time, so I competed for six or seven years in the big mountain competitions and I would say that's how I got noticed and met people, met the right people and formed some good connections that then led to opportunities with brands Mm -hmm. and, you know, inclusions in team marketing materials and then eventually budget to produce media projects. Yeah. That's cool. I, what has it been like working with K2 up until this point? I mean, they've been, it sounds like your major ski sponsor for basically the entirety of your professional career. Like what, how do you keep a relationship like that going for as long as you have? Um, I'm pretty lucky that I've kept that relationship going um, with my, both of my main sponsors, K2 and Scott Yeah, um, have been with me for my entire professional side of my career. And it's, it's cool sticking with the same brands because there are some people that have been there the whole time I've been there, even though there has been a lot of changeover with the brands and it's cool to watch the companies grow and change and kind of shift direction and maybe shift back. Um, With K2 in particular, I've been able to play a pretty big role in the design and development of the skis. Mm. And that has been so fun to learn. You know, the engineers at K2 are brilliant and and also phenomenal skiers and also willing to teach and talk about it and ask me questions and ask for my feedback. So um, I think that's part of why my relationship with K2 has lasted so long is I've been able to play a pretty big role in ski design and development. Yeah. How how does that translate right to the end product? Um, you know, luckily, since I'm not an engineer, you know, I get to speak in layman's terms when it comes right. to skis. <laughs> I get to get on a prototype and I have a certain language I use. And then the engineers that I work with know how to interpret my language into, you know, technical changes in skis right. and tweak something. And then I'll try it again. Feedback, tweak, test, feedback this like big roundabout circle until we find something that we all agree is like, Whoa, yeah, we did it. That's right. Let's run with it. Does that consensus happen a lot? Like where everybody's like, Oh, we get it. Or is there always like, cause skis are so everything's good now. Right. Like there's, it's really hard to find. Everybody always says it's like, it's hard to find a bad ski right now. So like you're kind of nitpicking between these like super finite details, ski to ski to ski. So how do you all get on the page where everybody that's giving feedback feels like this is what we want to put out into the world? Like creating an imperfect, perfect product, I guess, is kind of what you're looking for. Um, Surprisingly, we usually end up with like most everyone agreeing. Okay. So if there's a ski that, you know, they're trying to make and it's trying to, you know, fit in all these specific boxes of what the ski is. And at the end of a testing session, half the people think one thing and half the people think something entirely different, yep. they got to fix it. Okay. Something needs to change. So, you know, luckily their, um, their R&D place is in Washington. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty easy for them to go tweak, you know, remold, change a few things and then test again. Yep. And they'll do that as many times as they need until they get something that fits the boxes and everybody agrees is was well done well made what how many prototypes does that look like typically for you like i mean obviously the big all mountain ski right now is like you're talking about mindbender series and that's changed this is the second rendition of it now at this point that we're currently on 
it was like love boat and love whatever and all that stuff beforehand. Like, so what, <laughs> how many versions do we go to? Cause drastically different skis, right? Like completely different shapes. Those are drastically different. Okay. Skis. Did we like that? And we like this somehow still, like if you were to go out and ski like a love boat 105 right now versus skiing a mind bender, how do we feel about it? Well, I actually had an issue with the Love Boat 105, and K2 knows that, so I can <laughs> I can say it in the podcast. Okay, cool. But I had an issue with the Love Boat 105. Um, what was the problem? Without, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, to go back to that ski, that ski felt like the flex wasn't even throughout the ski like it skied well it was really easy to ski easy yeah. to initiate and it felt good but when you really put some umph into it it would almost feel like underneath your foot would hang on to the turn but then the tails wouldn't hang on and then the tip would kind of yeah initiate not initiate initiate not initiate so there was a lot of um, tip rocker like there was a ton of tip rocker in those skis it's just, I mean, it was what it was. Pinnacle was the same thing. It's like the men's one was the same. And it's not like, it's just where ski design was at that point. It's not like no one's shitting exactly. on it. Like it's literally was like when that ski came out year one, I feel like a ton of people were so high on it because of how easy it was to get that thing up on edge, like mm -hmm. on across the whole board. But now you move into Mindbender and it's like a totally different style of ski. Yeah, the Mindbender is a completely different style of ski. And when we went into the process of creating the Mindbender, we had, it was different. We weren't trying to make the next Pinnacle or the next right. Love Boat. We were making different skis with different purposes, you know, had some highlights that we were trying to hit. And I think that we did hit the mark. I love the Mindbender. New one or old one? Both. So the, the fat ski... Yep. The 115 didn't change. Yep. We only, they've only changed the skis with the metal in them. Yep. Um, actually, I liked the older 98 underfoot more than I liked the new 90, 99 underfoot. Yep. But I am alone in that opinion. It's just you. It's just me, and I think it's a sizing thing. I think the skis that I'm on currently are a little too short, and I need to be on a 178 instead of a 172. Okay. How, how yeah. tall are you for reference? Like this is obviously a big conversation like that people yeah. have right now is like ski lengths and what's available and what company makes what and how this stuff exists. Right. I'm five, five. Okay. So, I mean, that's a fairly, I mean, obviously professional skier, different conversation, blah, 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 blah. But like it is it, typically that's kind of a long ski, like to be in a 178 for somebody that's five, five is not what you would like in a ski shop. It's not typically what you're selling someone, but right obviously person to person and that's kind of where skis are going right now is like size is very much less like traditional size dependent like chin nose forehead it's like you ski what you're comfortable skiing and like anybody can ski any size ski it just depends on ability height weight and like what they actually enjoy skiing and obviously terrain as well exactly and that was such a good point ski on what you enjoy skiing on right like there's no judgment. Right. There. Right. And I hate when people get wrapped up in the, I need to be on this length because I need to prove that I can ski a longer ski and I need to be, you know, right. it's just ski on. We are all different. We all ski differently. Right. Our body shapes are different. We're different sizes. We mount skis differently depending on preference. Just figure out what works for you and go with it. Interrupting this episode of the out of bounds podcast is an ad from our friends at Fisher skis. Fisher makes the best Alpine skis in the entire world. I don't care what anybody says. They're my favorite. And uh, they've been a wonderful supporter of this program for quite some time now. And I'm forever grateful for them. Um, one of the things that I love the most about working with Fisher is that I actually get to ski on the best skis that exist all the time. Okay. From the Ranger 96, the Ranger 90, the Ranger 102, the Ranger 108, the Ranger 116. Like, they have a full lineup of the best all-mountain skis that you can buy. And the nice thing is you can mount. I have some of these things mounted with a pivot. Some of these mounted with an ATK. I have some of these mounted with a shift. Like, you just mount it with whatever you want and whatever makes sense. I have one mounted with a kingpin. It's like you can mount these skis with any binding you want and use them for any application that makes sense for you. 
And they're light enough. They're light enough that you can go touring with them and you can charge still. They're heavy enough that you can actually put an Alpine binding on them and rip. Like it is a perfect combination of weight and strength. And that is why I like the ski so much, especially with the size correct amount of metal that they use in the flex cut design throughout these skis. So uh, go to fishersports.com, go to your local retailer. If you have questions about Fisher skis, like I said in previous episode, give me a jingle or go on the YouTube and watch any one of the dozens of reviews that we've done on Fisher product. And I'm happy to answer your questions. I'm happy to help in any way I can. Uh, check that stuff out, fishersports.com. Next, we have Alpine Vans. Alpine Vans, uh, if you want to live in a van and you want to be a van lifer, go to alpinevans.com and let our friend Todd hook you up. He hooked up Cody Townsend. He hooked up me. Neither of us are on the same level, but like we, Cody is like the poster child for this company right now and it's because they make the best fans cody knows it he got it set up the way he wanted it if you watch the 50 project you've seen this thing floating around a bunch and holy shit i've never been stopped about a car that i've driven before but when i was driving this thing around no bullshit people like came up to me and were like this is the cool like while they're walking by i'm like window down they're like hey this is the coolest van i've ever seen in my life and they're right it's the coolest van I've ever seen in my life. The amount of times I like felt like I should be handing out business cards with all the information on the van because holy moly, it's got everything. You can even actually like when you're going to shop at alpinevans.com, you can go through a little questionnaire bit by bit by bit. And it'll kind of tell you what setup you need, like what makes sense for your liking. And Todd will build you the dopest adventure van that you possibly could imagine. Point blank. End of story. That's what the dude does. Okay. Go to alpinevans.com, Todd at alpinevans.com, and get yourself a new van today. Yeah. Yeah, It's and that's obviously very good to hear because there's a lot of people out there that do get so hung up on the sizing thing, and they don't actually go ski it, and they like they won't let themselves enjoy whatever it is that they want because they're like, and everybody gets sucked into it. Like, I get sucked into it sometimes where I'm like, I should be on a 188 instead of being on a 180. Like, it's just like, it, you just think about it more than you need to, and obviously sizing and availability of sizing is a big topic of discussion right now because women's skis in general not as many size options very limited in terms of what like what most brands are offering and i just wonder like what the like what that solution is going to look like long term sometimes you know like are we gonna are we moving towards something that's like completely gender neutral skis like are we moving towards like all across the board sizing like i just don't know yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, you know, one thing that I get hung up on with the gender, gender neutral skis is in most retail shops, the men's skis and women's skis are on separate walls. Totally. So when we go to gender neutral skis, all those skis are going to the men's side. Mm, and then point. we're going to start walking into retail shops and there's going to be like 35 options for men's skis and four for women's skis. And if you're a brand new female skier, you do not want to see that. Right. So, you know, as much as I agree that men and women can ski on the same skis and really what needs to change is size. Yeah. I don't really think we're at a point where we should, where all brands should go to gender neutral. I do like having different graphics so that we can have that space filled on the women's ski wall. Do we, so how do you change the sizing thing? Like, because that's a, obviously this is an issue. And the biggest issue to be honest is like, it starts with sales reps and shops, right? Because it's what they decide to buy and bring in ahead of time. And it takes time for obviously everything's a year ahead. So like we can be talking about this now, nothing's going to change until 2024, you know? So it's like, what is that? What does that look like? How does a shop or how does a retailer, how does K2, even at the bigger side of things, decide like, all right, we need to bring in 20% more 178s this year because there are a lot of people that want to ski on a bigger ski and even bigger than that, right? Like those size options should, like you're 5'5", somebody's 5'8", and like feels like they should ski a 185, like they also deserve to have options that are the same, you know? And does that look like making two color options of the same ski? I don't know, right? Like there's, it's, it is a confusing like, I don't envy any of these engineers. It is a confusing thing, and especially in that size range. Like, right. the 175 to 185 size range, 
I mean, both men and women feel occupy that space for sure. And you, you do find more male skis, male with, I did quotations, male (laughs) skis in that size range. Yeah. Um, but a lot of brands do offer a women specific or female graphic ski in that size range. Unfortunately, they don't sell very many of them. Why do we think that is? Do we think it's because whoever's selling the ski? Do we think it's whoever's buying the ski? Because it's a conversation that people have all the time is like, where does that like chicken before the egg situation? It's like, is the buyer uncomfortable? Is the person selling it uncomfortable? Like putting someone in a bigger ski? Like it's always on the retail side, right? Like I have this issue where I'm like, I don't want to kill someone and put them on a gigantic ski where they're on a sled. Right. Cause you kind of get one opportunity, but you also don't want to put somebody on a ski that's small, like, and they're over the top of the thing and they can't ski it. Like it just doesn't, because it goes both ways. Right. So I don't know. I don't know where that solution, like, I don't know where that gets fixed. I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I, I don't think that there are that many women out there purchasing that length of ski. And I don't think there are very many shops carrying it. Yeah. So, you know, I think that the numbers are going to be small regardless. Right. But it needs to still exist. And that's what's difficult. And I can imagine that's what's difficult with the brands when they are doing their orders and um, engineering the skis in the first place. Do you do you have a boot issue? Like, do you have an issue finding ski boots? I do have an issue with ski boots because (laughs) I have tiny little feet. I wish I didn't have tiny feet. It is ca- it causes me issues. It seems like this is a pro. Like uh, Hadley, this is a huge problem with Michelle. This is a huge problem with. Like I saw Michelle, she's got like fucking a million boots. Like she's just trying to make something work. Like that's fucked up. Yeah, and we all talk about it a lot too. Yeah. So what's other. the like? Has anybody? Have you guys figured out a solution here? Like, do we all like just riot and go to these ski companies and just make twenty point five to twenty like? 9.5 at every but like I don't know yeah I you know what I don't know either because I think <laughs> we run into the same issue where a boot mold is so expensive yeah it's absurd and I, do, I don't know how many of those they will sell I will buy them <laughs> but I know Hadley will Michelle will but I don't know if they see the cost benefit there and that's why they aren't being made but um, you know, with resort boots, it's a lot easier. For sure, yeah. Alpine boots, it's the touring boot that that becomes a problem. Has been an issue. Yeah i I have a hard time believing that a twenty, especially twenty two, right? Like I think twenty two should ex- a true twenty two should exist across the board. Twenty one, there's a harder argument to be made for sure. But like, right. I can tell you on the men's side, it's like we're selling more twenty four point five boots than ever before for men. And more 22.5 women's boots than ever. Because, like, if you have them, you sell them. If you don't have them, you sell what you have. And that's what shops get sucked into all the time. Like, especially, like, if you roll into a shitty shop and they're just like, look, we're going to give you a boot. And they, like, shoe size fit you. Like, it's just, like, that's what you end up in. So the numbers are skewed. And, like, I I really think, like, that's my, I don't have conspiracy theories. But I think if I had one, (laughs) it's that every shop is just selling women in 22.5s, 24.5s. It's, like, I think that's what's going on right now. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what was going on. It's yeah, it's fucked up. Like it should, it should exist. Like Hadley last year was telling me like she has like modded out (laughs) race boots so that like she can make this shit work. And like, that's not, but again, like, I don't know what the solution is. And like, even if we can all talk about it a million times, it's like, I don't know who's making a good fix for that. I don't either. I mean, they're working on it. You know, the other problem is it's really <laughs> hard to go out and buy seven pairs of ski boots to see which one is actually a 22, even though, even if it says 22, it's maybe right. a 23 big liner. Yeah. Which one's actually a 22 and actually fits well. And then the other things of walks well and skis well. Yeah. Right. Like you get to actually have options and pick boots yeah. that you actually like, as opposed to what kind of fits and kind of works. Right. And this is on the professional athlete side. Like now think about the consumer like that just wants like a good ski boot and wants to be able to rip and like put on something that fits correctly. And it's like that option's not there. It actually makes me really sad. Yeah. Same. Like it's really dumb. 
but I mean, it's just, it is where it is. But I will say like, there's a lot of brands that are starting to like get a little better with it. And like, I think those conversations are starting to be had. I had like the Fisher boot guy in, I don't know, a month ago. And I was with him last year and he's like standing up on a table, like yelling at me. Like, he's like, dude, we want to make this thing. But every time we do like pre-sale sheets, like it, nobody clicks on the 22, five box or the 21.5. He's like, I'm fucking trying. Like I'm trying to put this thing out there and he's like screaming, pulling his hair out. Cause I was like last year I was on this big kick of like, nobody's fucking making it. They're all piles of shit. Like no one wants to do it. Like this is like the kick that I was on for a minute. And he was like, dude, I'm telling you, like I am trying every single day. And same thing with atomic, same thing with K2. It's like, everybody's trying, but there's something that needs to give somewhere in order for that to happen. You know what else would be cool to see is someone make a boot that's designed small. Yeah, like with the base being small, like the the, the the mean size, yeah. Rather than, you know, creating a standard size shell and then just like shortening it. Yeah. For the smaller sizes, like design it'd be really cool if we found the funding and the right people to design a size 22 ski boot from scratch, like yeah. this is the size that we're building initially. That would be incredible. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. Like, I don't know what the average is. I assume there's a different average starting point for women, but like for men, it's like a 26, five, everything's based off a of 26, five. And that's actually starting to get bigger. Like sample sizes are coming in 27, five now. So it's like, right. what is the women's like, are we going to go down to a 23.5? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what that's going to look like. And then we base it off of everything else. And it's funny. I don't think people actually realize this, but it's a lot of this shit works the same way. Bikes work the same way. Santa Cruz had this marketing campaign forever ago that was talking about the fact that Juliana is basically like a Santa Cruz just based on a smaller average size, right? Like, so it's same quality, same everything, just based around a smaller platform. And like, that's kind of like, that's messaging, I guess, that the consumer doesn't know about. So, right. It's just kind of like, it's a very, and it's, but it's also like, we just talked about how complicated this whole sport is. And now we're like making it more complicated on the top no, end. Exactly. Like, yeah. we're, we're making like, it worse. So. Yeah. We're like really in the weeds about this. You can only go too far. Yeah. Right. I don't, yeah. I don't know what that looks, but I, there's a lot that goes into it. And it's, it's funny. Like even on the, on the boot side of things, even the labeling is kind of fucked up, right? Like the men's performance boot is a 130. The women's performance touring boot is a 115. Like why, why does that exist? Right. You're already, you're aligning these boots crooked. <laughs> like literally you're doing this. Like you're like, your one's here and you're like, ah, this is kind of good. This is the best one that we have for women. Like, how are we going to go and like preach this and that and the other thing? And then like, this is what the fuck we're doing. I know. <laughs> and you know, I mean, I guess that can relate back to the lengths of women's skis. I guess. But. There's too many men in 130 boots that don't need 130 boots. Right. But then there's also a lot of men that rip and are phenomenal skiers that ski in like a 100 flex. For sure. So again, it's personal preference and it doesn't. It's what you like. Boots stiffer. You're not a better skier. You're just, right. it's personal preference. And it would be nice if all of the preferences were available for all sizes. <sighs> yeah. But for again, sure. that's spoiled asking for a lot but maybe it should be that way maybe i mean but, but it's also women. like it's kind of not like there's got to be a way because like the standard flex organization of things doesn't really make sense right like a hundred somebody that is a ripping good skier but that's super lightweight and that needs a hundred flex boot gets mm -hmm. a shitty like they get a shitty liner they get a shitty set of buckles all the tooling's bad like it's they're getting the like super simplified version of what a good product is just because they're lighter or smaller or whatever <clears throat> that's the point that's a terrible point. <laughs> That's the worst. Like, I don't know why I'm getting so bent about this all over again. Like I fucking forgot that this was like a major issue because I haven't talked to anybody in like a month that has this problem, but it's, it's annoying, but we're at like product season. We're at like new line product season. So this is like when people are going to start talking about next year's shit in like a week, which is kind of crazy. Right. So, right. Um, is that part weird to you at all? Like that the new product cycles are like, they happen in like, I mean, you're on the shit like a year earlier, right? Like even a year prior to what a lot of this stuff even is. It's really nice, actually. Is it? You know, I, oh, a while ago, oh, 2015, maybe 
um, K2 sent me a new ski that they were making. Wasn't in production yet, so I was just skiing on it, testing it, but it had a new graphic. You know, mm. I was supposed to shoot on it for marketing material for the following year. And there was something seriously wrong with the ski. Mm. Like, like catastrophically wrong. I skied on it one day. I called them. They, like, did this big meeting, nixed the ski, completely redesigned it, and no still shit. got it out the next year. No shit. So and it's a good thing that they get their product out this time because they can still do that if they need to. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. Like, that actually sounds like, a obviously, like, the testing needs to happen early enough. But it's cool to see, like, that a company that's as big as K2 still cares to change shit, like, based on feedback. Like, that's a... I think from the outside looking in, that's kind of a rarity where you're like, look, I don't like these companies are huge. They don't give a fuck what anybody thinks, but they do. Oh yeah. They, yeah, they care a lot. I mean, that's, that's how you make a good product is you put a bunch of different people on it and you ask for their feedback Yeah, and you weigh all of those opinions <clears throat> and you listen and you change and you tweak and that's how you make a good product. Yeah. On the, yeah, I guess kind of sticking to the product side of things. It's like when you're when you're putting in simple terms, like what it is that you like or don't like about a ski, how easy is that feedback for you to give, right? Like I, I think the worst thing that anybody gets for feedback, right, is, oh, it's really good, right? Like that's the worst thing that you can say when you're giving feedback to somebody that's creating something. It's like, oh, yeah, it's really good. They want to hear that it sucks ass more than they want to hear that it's really good. You know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. They want to be able to take something from it. Yeah, they need to pull something out of it. If you're just like afraid to hurt somebody's feelings, it's like nothing actually gets fixed at all. Um, it's actually not that hard. I've been doing it for so long that, you know, I, I kind of have a program that I go through mm -hmm. with skis that I'm testing and things that I'm feeling for. And then they also give us a brief when we're testing the skis. Right. Like, okay, this ski is for this type of customer. It needs to be able to do A, B, C, and D. Mm-hmm concentrate on those when you're skiing it and then it's important to ski it a bunch of different ways so you know when i'm testing i ski a ski like i am like i would normally i'm charging i'm in the front right. seat but then i also want to like stand up straight and be a little more centered yeah like, slide my turns out a little bit you know just have a variety in there to see how the ski performs with all different types of skiing style yeah yeah that's that's one of the weirdest things I think to explain to people that are like testing something for the first time is like, look, you, I know everybody knows you're a good skier. It's fine. Nobody cares. Right. Like the point is to ski it like the <laughs> end consumer. Yeah. Nobody gives a shit. Right. There's so many better skiers than you. It's fucking fine. Right. Yeah. But like the feedback that everybody's looking for is like consumer feedback. Like That's, but you can't just give it to every consumer right out of the box because then it's too much feedback. So like you're asking people who are really good to now go take that skill and like, ski at different levels and like kind of get a feel for stuff in a totally different way than what they're probably used to. Exactly. Which is like the difference between a good tester and a good skier. And like, exactly. obviously it can be both, but it's, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting bit, but it's um, really fun. I love it. You like the testing side of it. Yeah. A lot. I love being a part of the ski design. What post ski career what is that like? Is that a thing that you've thought about at all? Like post, like I'm charging every, is that a like product side of things is like somewhere you want to be? Is that like, I don't know. Everybody has like a post. I think they think I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people don't think about it at all. And I'm the only one that thinks about what you do in however many years. Do, like, do you have an idea of what you want to do in the ski industry? Is it like, are you going to go like, I don't know, Seth Morrison route and be like, fuck everybody. I'm gone. You know, like there's, what is that? What does it look like for you in your head? At least at this point. I'm sure I'll stay involved in the industry in some capacity. Yeah. You know, I, like I've said, I love to ski. I'm going to ski as much as I can for the rest of my life. And yeah. I love being a part of the industry. So, um, it'd be cool if I end up on a product testing side yeah. kind of for the rest of my life. I think I could do that. Yeah. That would be awesome. I could be, you know, 75 years old out there <laughs> testing skis. For sure. <laughs> yeah. And valuable feedback for sure. <laughs> So I'm sure I'll continue to do that in one way or another. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, Sun Valley. Why is Sun Valley home? Have you always been there? Like what's the, what's the story? It's a weird, by the way, weirdest airport to fly out of. I think is that Sun Valley airport. Like I feel like they cancel flights for fucking like no reason all the time. Like it, I don't know. It's very bizarre little airport, but that's, 
neither here nor there. Why is Sun Valley home for you? Like that's, is that where you want to be? I grew up here. Yep. So born and raised in Sun Valley. I left for 12 years. Okay. Was living in Salt Lake City, skiing, snowboard Alta. Yep. Mostly Alta. Yep. Um, and I've been back here for, this is my fifth winter back here. Okay. And, um, I'm sticking around for now, but I'm looking for somewhere else to go. If that answers your question. So I love it here. Great skiing, phenomenal backcountry. Not very many people. It snows, but it doesn't snow a lot. And is that the main looking to get out of the hometown again? Yeah. What, what are the options? Like if we thought about like potential suitors, yeah, I'm probably going to end up moving to either Washington or Montana. No shit. Okay. Montana, Montana's like the hotbed right now. Like it's crazy. Like it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's happening fast. Like I know it's, it, it's funny. Like I say, it's happening fast, but it's been happening for a long time, but it's like now the secret's like fully out in Montana. Yeah. It's a little crowded there these days. My brother lives in Bozeman. Yeah. And so then, I spent a bit of time in Bozeman and it's getting, it's a scene. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. I, yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah, that's too much for me. Um, but also, like, Washington is not much better. Like, you're talking about two places that, like, I just had, like, I don't know, fucking the mayor of wherever the fuck he lives, <laughs> like, in a minute. Like, it, it just, it doesn't sound like a place that I would want to go to live all the time, especially if you're going to be, like, right around Seattle area, right? Right. So. And that's a good point. My draw to Washington is that my boat lives in Seattle. Yeah, I, I actually, he told me about this before. And he's like, yeah, your boat's here all the time. I'm like, hey, like, what, when you move in here? Like, what's the story? <laughs> yeah, Josh can see my boat from his house. Yeah, he told me. He's told me he was creeping on the boat. I'm like, uh, okay, cool. Cool, 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 Good to know. He's going to photos sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not weird at all. That's fine. That's totally fine. Um, <laughs> what, how is the split for you between, like, boat life and pro ski life right like that's a i'm sure people have talked about this with you a million times so i was actually trying kind of not to bring it up because like i know people talk about this with you all the time but like what does that look like and what does that feel like to you because we're talking about two totally different things like two opposite like one elemental kind of but like also just different lifestyles completely it's exciting but it's also a lot and it's pretty difficult okay you know, fishing and skiing work well together, obviously, because the seasons yeah. are opposing. But, you know, I pretty much go from being full throttle skiing, traveling, working mm-hmm. straight to Seattle to working, no downtime, getting ready, getting the boat together, fish all summer in Alaska, put the boat away. Okay, plan ski stuff, try and get contracts, try and make film plans. Repeat. So it's it's a lot right now, and I'll probably slow down. I'm starting to slow down in both occupations. Okay. What what is like this? Not just the slowdown that's happening now, but like what does the reset look like for you usually? Like because I I imagine there has to be some buffer time where you're like I need to just fucking like figure out where my brain's at right now otherwise i'm gonna lose my shit right like you have to like if you're go 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 all the time you're just gonna like you're gonna implode um i usually spend october at home in like a very mellow routine of like going to the gym doing yoga eating dinner going to bed early (laughs) waking up early and actually doing the same thing every day yeah and that's my reset downtime is having a routine where I don't have to like pack my bags and get up and leave or, mm. you know, be, I, I don't have to be creative and I don't yeah. have to think and I don't have to do anything. I just go. Yeah. That's reset. Yeah. That's actually a really nice thing. It's funny. Like for a lot of people, that's like their everyday lives and that's extremely boring for them. But like, as if you're go, go, go all the time, the opposite is very nice. I imagine like it's, and I think the other thing that maybe people don't understand is the, like, you never being in a good routine, right? Like, there's, it's hard to be in a routine when you're on the go all the time. Like, I don't even know how, 
This is like the hardest thing to me or for me to imagine as a professional skier is like, how do you even create a routine fitness wise, eating wise that you can stick to like where you're like performing at your best and feeling your best. Like that seems extremely difficult on the road. Like everybody knows this that travels at all. It's like you're a pile of shit half the time when you're like out just on the road, like in the airport and like doing your thing. Like it's so hard to keep up with that. You asked me earlier in this conversation, what advice I would give someone up and coming yeah. in this industry. <laughs> Develop a routine when you're young okay. and stick to it and stick with it and keep it going. It is so hard to get a eat well, sleep well, exercise routine going. Yeah. And if you start young and get in the habit of it. I mean, that makes the biggest difference. What does your routine look like on the road? Um, I have a few like hotel room exercise routines yeah. that I usually do. Um, you know, what's been helping me a lot is limiting alcohol. Yeah. That has been a big one. It's... Like I rarely drink alcohol anymore and that has been pretty game changing in how I feel and how I perform. Isn't it crazy? Like how much it changes the way that you feel like you don't notice it. And then you take like two months off or whatever. And you're like, holy fucking shit. Like, I don't even know how it's functioning before. Yeah, exactly. You feel so much better. It's crazy. And it's like, obviously in skiing, it's like, this is a glorified part of the industry is like drinking and partying and doing all this shit. And like, yeah, sure. Like every once in a while, that stuff's fun. It's really fun. Yeah, for sure. Like I'm not shit. And again, like neither of us are shitting on anybody that wants it. Like there's a ton of fun yeah. that comes with it for sure. But it's like one of those things that's so hard to figure out where the line is and how to limit it and like figure out like a functional way to exist like that. And so many of us have a hard time doing that. Yeah, I mean, it took, you know, took me a lot of years to try and figure out my routine and how to stay healthy and sane and feel good in my body. Yeah. And once I've kind of figured it out, it made a big difference. So what is advice to younger skiers? Try and find your routine and stick with it. Yeah. And yeah. And maybe don't get roped into every party every single time and every activity. It's like, that's a. Everybody's so afraid to say no, myself included. Like I'm saying this right now and I'm going to go say yes to like going to a party fucking tomorrow and I'm going to blow up everything yeah. I just said and everything I've done over the last few months. You know, like it's just, it's how it is. Like it's everybody gets sucked into it, but like you have to say it and you have to like, even if you're going to be a hypocrite a little bit, it's like, it comes with the territory. Right. You And you don't have to go hard one way or the other. You don't have to always say yes or always say no. You can just kind of. Right. Just have a balance. Yeah. Balance is the key word. Do you, <laughs> do you have like a hard limit that you set for yourself or are you just like not right now you're in a good flow where you're just like, I'm not drinking. Like I've talked to Bjarne a few weeks ago and like, he was like, look, I don't drink Sunday through Friday. Basically. He's like, if I want to drink Friday or Saturday, I'm okay. I'll drink unless I'm going on tour or whatever. Like, but that's my limitation. I had to put a hard limitation on myself. Right. Do you have something like that? I don't have a hard limitation. No. Does no, it work? I have like no rules, no hard limits, just kind of a, that doesn't make me feel good. So I'm only going to do it every once in a while and probably not that much and go off of my body and what my body's feeling. Yeah, that's great. It's like, for some people, it's like, that's the way, like your brain will work that way. And like, you're okay just being like, look, I don't feel good. So I'm not going to do it. But it's like yeah. for other people, it's like, it's really hard. Like you need those limits. For me, it's really hard to be like, no. Like, it's hard to be like, this is the limitation. You can't do this because then I want to do it more. Like, if you're like, right. don't do this, I'm like, uh, like kind of petty, kind of like hard headed, like going to like, even if I set the limitation on myself, it's not going to work versus like, if I'm just like, I'm just taking a break. It, it works. I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing. Um, you know, we're all different. Yeah. Whatever works for each of us. Yeah, exactly. Like everybody's shit kind of, kind of goes a different way. Um, I'm not going to keep you very much longer. Um, I appreciate you talking to me very much. I know we've been trying to do this for a minute. I'm glad that it's finally like worked out and, uh, and we can finally do this thing. Um, let me ask you before I let you go, like what's your, what's the upcoming season look like for you? Like how go, go, go is it? Like what's the, do we have an upcoming plan? Like are you just, <laughs> just running until the legs fall off? Hopefully the legs don't fall off anytime soon. I'm trying to keep them going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be filming with Matchstick this year. Sick. I'm actually going on my first trip with them next week. Cool. And also filming with Carl Fosfett. Sick. 
who I love skiing with. I love the movies he's making. Yeah, he's that's dope. so fun to be in the mountains with. Um, also, yeah, I have a trip to Alaska planned with Hedvig Wessel and Lexi DuPont. Nice. Girl trip. Fuck yeah. That's and sick. It'll be a fun season. It'll be busy and good, and I'm looking forward to it. First matchstick? Third. Third. I don't yeah. know. No Gaffney. No Gaffney. Very weird. I, I bet he makes an appearance. I bet so too. Like what? Do you know? Do you have any insight on this? Like what the fuck is going on? No, I haven't talked to him. I just saw his Instagram post, but I'm psyched for him. Yeah. It's I mean, so he seems cool happy. To do new things. Yeah. 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 Let's all, you know, live our <laughs> Everybody lives. Everybody quit and go do new, try new things. <laughs> everybody just quit and go do new shit that's the, like it's yeah it's funny it's like he seemed very happy about it like it was like i don't know like it just seemed like he was like oh this is great this is what i want mm -hmm. so that's great i'm psyched um whatever he does is going to be done great so yeah exactly the dude's a legend for sure so very cool well good luck on all of it i appreciate you coming on very much um last thing where can people find you on social on the internet movies that you're in the whole bit like give us the the like plug all right instagram mck underscore p and look for me in this year's warren miller's daymaker and carl fosfett's brapski too sick awesome thank you mckenna appreciate it thanks adam that was awesome to chat